morning, church. Um, my prayer for you this morning is if you have not experienced the greatness of the God that we worship, I would encourage you to listen with spiritual ears and spiritual eyes and have a spiritual heart this morning uh, because we worship and serve a great God. In fact, if you're visiting, you're like, why do those people sing so loud, okay? Uh, that's an overflow of God working in our hearts all through the week, and we gather here corporately to sing His praises and worship Him because we serve a great Savior, a uh, great God, and His Son, Jesus Christ. So do me a favor uh, this morning. Uh, I'm in sermon number four of my Shocked series, so if you have your Bible, turn with me to Matthew chapter 7. Uh, we're going to start in verse 7. We're going to park most of the time right there this morning. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, there's probably one in a chair in front of you or very close by. Grab one out. Uh, if you don't own a Bible, do me a favor, take that one with you. Uh, we would love nothing more than for that to be our gift to you. Matthew is on the back right-hand side. Inside of your bulletin is a handout. Uh, follow along there. We do that because, I, you know, it's a teaching tool. I want you guys to remember more of the the things you write down, okay? I wish I had time uh, this morning, and, and this series has been birthed out of the things as a pastor that, uh, as I talk to people, and they're shocked by certain things, and I'm like, well, I'm only shocked that people are shocked by that, you know? And so um, so we've been unpacking some of those things, and and this morning, uh, is I want to begin to transition this series a little bit to being shocked by the goodness of the God that we worship. You know, the first few weeks, we're kind of depressing, you know? I mean, we talked about mortality and difficulty and uh, the battle inside of us of, of our sin nature and the spiritual nature and those battles. And, and uh, so this morning, we're going to talk about being shocked by a God who answers prayer, right? And uh, we have a God that hears us when we pray and desires to bless us and give us good things. And, and I wish I had time this morning to go around this room and ask each of you, what is the best gift that you've ever received? Uh, you know, for a birthday or for Christmas or an anniversary or whatever. But I remember mine uh, was about six or seven years ago. Uh, it was my birthday, and my wife hands me an envelope, and I open the envelope, and inside the envelope are two tickets to the greatest football team that has ever played on planet Earth. Seattle Seahawks. And um, so I'm a big Seahawks fan. I had these two tickets, and she'd gotten me, and because they're a West Coast team, I never get to see them, uh, she had gotten two tickets to them playing the Charlotte Panthers. Now, there was one problem, and here's what made the gift so great. It wasn't just the two tickets, but uh, it was the fact that it was on a Sunday. And I reminded her, I said, honey, I only work one day a week, and Sunday's that day, right? And so why are you all laughing at that? You know, I know that's what everybody thinks. I said, and so what am I going to do? I mean, I can't take, you know, and this was the cool part of the gift. She goes, I've already taken care of that. I talked to the elder board at Coastal, and they got a guest speaker, and you can go to that game down in Charlotte. And I was like, I was like, you are the best wife I've ever had, you know? And so, just kidding. Here's where the dilemma came in. My two boys, who are also Seattle fans, my wife had gotten me two tickets, and there were two boys looking up at me like, which one of us are you going to take? I solved that really easy. I was like, look, you all have a month to be good. Whoever's better at the end of the month. Just kidding. Bet you all like to know how I solved the problem, don't you? I bought him another ticket, you know, I bought him another ticket, that's what I did. But it was a great gift, and this morning I want to transition us to, you know, we worship and serve a God 
who does want to give us great gifts. And, and as we're going through this life that uh, we battle with mortality and we battle with difficulty and we battle with our sin nature and all these things we kind of talked about the last few weeks that hopefully don't shock you now when you run into these challenges. But we also serve a God who cares and a God who's involved and a God who wants to answer our prayers. He's not a disinterested, disingenuous God. And in Matthew chapter 7, it's the greatest sermon ever preached. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. And I would encourage you with your Bibles at home this afternoon, maybe read chapter 5 through chapter 7, a great sermon by Jesus Christ. And in the midst of this sermon where he covers all these incredible topics about, you know, the, as followers of Jesus, we're salt and light in the world. And, and he challenges us not to be angry. And men, he challenges us that uh, lust is not something that we, that we, it's not just an action, but it's something inside of our hearts and we got to guard our eyes not to lust and he challenges us to keep our marriages intact he challenges us in, to keep our word that we give our word our yes should always be yes and our no should always be no and he challenges us to turn the other cheek if someone have, uh, hurts us we should turn the other cheek be quick to forgive and Jesus challenges us don't just love those who love you but love those who don't love you and Jesus challenges us to be generous and give to the poor and Jesus challenges us to fast on a regular basis and he challenges us to keep our eyes always focused on heaven and he challenges us to not worry not import the problems of tomorrow into today he challenges us not to judge others and as i read the sermon on the mount i come to this conclusion i can't do all that stuff i'm a one big failure I mean, if you really probed my heart and I, I read the teachings of Jesus, I'm like, how in the world am I going to accomplish all this in my heart and life that Jesus has told me I need to do? And then smack dab in the middle of the sermon that I can't keep, Jesus reminds us that I can pray to him. And I can ask God to give me strength and to give me help. And the challenges of my day. And in Matthew chapter 7, verse 7, Jesus says this. Ready? He says, keep on asking. By the way, I want you to circle. The, I'm going to have you circle a couple words. So if you don't like to write in your Bible, circle it on your handout, okay? Keep on asking and you'll receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking. Circle that. Keep on seeking. And you'll find. Keep, keep on knocking. Circle that. Keep on knocking. And the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and everyone who seeks finds, and to everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. You parents, if, you, if your children were to ask for a loaf of bread, do you give them a stone? Or if they ask for a fish, do you give them a snake? And he says, of course not. So if you, being sinful people, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask yeah. This morning, I want to I work backwards on this passage, okay? And we're going to go backwards to the front end. And so the first thing I want you to see is that, church, when we pray, we pray to a God who has good character. And, and you have to understand when you pray, you got to understand that God's character and he's a good heavenly father is the definition. I, uh, I, I'm not much of a babe and infant person, right? I've never been real comfortable around infants. And um, I don't know how many of y'all are like that, but I'm like that for a reason. Actually, whenever, and it's always been weird to me as a pastor, sometimes I'll go visit a family that has a newborn. They're like, here you go, Pastor Sean, hold our baby. And so whenever they do that, I, I, I break out and I start sweating and I get nervous. And, and it's, 
It's not because I don't love that baby, but it's because my mind goes to sports. Now, some of you on this room are like, you're really not that shallow. By the way, ladies, let me tell you something about men, okay? Men have a nothing box, actually, in our, in our mind and heart. So if you ever ask, like, hey, what are you thinking about? And a man goes, oh, I'm not thinking about nothing. And you go, oh, yeah, right. I know you're thinking about something. Like, no, we're really thinking about nothing, right? I mean, it really can be as shallow as, like, I wonder why my favorite football team keeps running the split backfield. I really, you know, we're really that shallow, right? And so, you know, I get nervous and my mind goes to sports. And the reason my mind goes to sports is I think about all the times that, uh, that someone has thrown me a soft football and I dropped it, right? It went right through my hands. And I'm like, how did I miss it? And so as this baby is getting handed off to me, I start sweating. And I'm like, oh, no, you know, what if I drop this precious baby, you know? And I just get nervous. And, and I don't like holding infants. But, and, and I've never liked to hold infants until my own kids were born. I remember when my first kid was born. Some of y'all remember, it's like, it's like, man, it doesn't matter if I drop him. He belongs to me. I got to deal with the damages after that, right? And I picked this kid up, and this kid had my heart from the get-go. And I knew this kid wasn't going to be perfect. I knew he'd have some strengths. He had some weaknesses. There'd be some tough days ahead. I didn't realize when they'd become a teenager, but that happened too. And, you know, and, all this, and I'm holding this kid, man, and they immediately had my heart as a father, and my heart wasn't going back. That child's always going to have my heart. And Jesus uses that illustration. I was reading a, a, a book this week, and, uh, and the, in the side of this book was a story about a dad who, uh, the first time he had kids, he, he, uh, his dad wasn't a very loving man. He really didn't have a good earthly father. And so every time he heard these stories about heavenly father and a good dad, and he, he really couldn't relate because his, his, he didn't have a good dad. And he said he remembered the first time he held his kid that it was like the Holy Spirit whispered into his ear, I love you as much as you love that baby. And, and that's what Jesus is saying here. He says, you know, you people, you, as you're sinners, and you know how to give an immediate affection to someone else. You know how to give good gifts. You know how to take care of someone. And, and so he's saying, if you know how to do that, how much more does your heavenly Father love you? Some of you in here this morning, because of circumstance or whatever, you, 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 you've been blaming God. And I want to encourage you with this. Listen, I'm not, you got to go hear the other sermons for this to make sense in this series because we, we've unpacked how life is difficult. But in that, man, we have a God who, who loves us. And Jesus is saying, not only does God love you, but he's active and he's living. He's involved. I mean, think about this for a minute. This God that we worship and we serve, he didn't just kind of wind up the universe and say, hey, you're on your own. The God of the universe is active in listening to you. Does that strike anyone else as awesome? Someone that's greater than you and more powerful than you and sovereign and knows everything is all powerful, can do whatever he wants to do whenever he wants to do it. He is interested in your daily grind. How cool is that? And, and I, you know, as I was thinking about this, here's what I thought about. I thought about my wife. My wife has this gift to begin to tell me deep, important, personal things inside the two-minute warning of a football game, right? She starts pouring her heart out. I'm like, honey, I, I know that's personal to you, but I'm right now, I am praying for my team's quarterback, okay? You know, 
can this wait two minutes? She goes, it's never two minutes. It's 15 minutes. She finally figured that out. How much time left in the game? Two minutes, honey, just two minutes, you know, 30 minutes later. And as I read this and I kind of think about this, I think about how, what a poor listener I am. My God is never like that. There's never a moment where you're calling out to God and he's like, man, I'm really busy right now. Hey, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm distracted with someone. He, he's got the ability to handle everybody's problems at once. He, he's never on vacation. He's never on hold. He's never too fatigued to hear you. He's living and he's active and he's interested. That's the God we pray to. Psalm 34, verse 17. I'm going to give you another reading assignment, okay? This is one of my favorite psalms, Psalm 34. There's a couple of verses in there. That actually, one me and my wife adopted. We got married as a family verse. But Psalm 34, 17 says, says, The Lord hears his people when they call to him for help. He rescues them from all their troubles. If you're like me, there's times when life is hitting you upside the head and you're going through the grind and it's a difficult day. And what I begin to do is I begin to contemplate and think about angles and how can I get through this mess I'm in. And sometimes praying to the Lord is the last thing I think of. And Jesus said, you have a good father. That's the character of God. He cares. Why don't you come to him first? And I, as I get older, I'm trying to adjust my thinking more. About Rather than prayer being a last resort, I'm trying to make it a first resort. I'm going to start here. Maybe God knows more than me. Maybe God has got a plan I can't even imagine. You know, I, I, I'm trying more and more to start there by praying to my good Heavenly Father, believing that He's active and listening. In the book um, <clears throat> Prayer Partners, John Maxwell tells an interesting story. Uh, um, in 1876, in the state of Minnesota, much of the state was an agrarian culture. They made their living off of the land, farming the land. And in 1876, there was a massive grasshopper plague that wiped out the region left them in near recession. And in 1877, the farmers, in the spring of 1877, the farmers were afraid that because last year there was such a great plague of grasshoppers that surely this was going to happen again. And in 1877, they planted their seeds. The, the crops began to grow in April. And the governor and the people were so afraid of another great recession because of a grasshopper plague. The governor, John Pillsbury, declared April 26th a day of prayer. They shut down the schools. They shut down all business. And for 24-hour period, the state of Minnesota became one big church service. And they prayed and said, God, protect us from this plague again. By the way, can you imagine? Can you imagine that today? We're facing crisis just as great. Now, I know we have a national day of prayer, but I can't remember the last time we shut everything down besides the vacation you imagine if our leadership said, hey, let, we're going to pray to a good God who hears? The next day, many of the farmers noticed on their crop the larva of another grasshopper plague. And on that particular day, the temperatures soared 
to unusually high temperatures. It was summer-like weather, and for three straight days, this larva on their crop grew, and it was hot, and it was summer-like in the middle of April. And the people began to say, God, what are you doing? We just gave a day to prayer, and you're making it worse. And three days later, all these little larva grasshoppers began to hatch into billions of grasshoppers until day number four. On day number four, Inexplicably, that night, the temperature went from summer-like temperatures to frost-like temperatures. And that frost came and wiped out all those grasshoppers. It was like a modern-day poison had been sprayed. And the, and the state of Minnesota declared that day as the day God answers the prayers of his people. Psalm 34, 17. We serve a God who hears and is interested and active, but we also serve a God that is capable. We serve a God, that's why he says, how much more? If you earthly fathers give gifts to your children, how, how much more? You think your God is incapable? And by the way, there's a, there's a close connection, by the way, when we pray to knowing the word of God. Because there are hundreds of promises in the word of God. We worship and serve a God who is capable of fulfilling his promises. Can you permit me this morning to give you just a couple? These are a couple that God has always used to minister to my heart. I hope they encourage you. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 29. And as I read these this morning, I hope my hope in doing this is not to bore you. My hope this morning is that maybe you're in here this morning and, and your heart is heavy and you're wondering where God is. You're wondering why God hasn't shocked you by his blessing or by his answered prayer. I hope one of these verses grabs a hold of your heart and reminds you of the God that you pray to. Isaiah says this, he says, he gives power to the weak, he gives strength to the powerless. Even youths will become weak and tired and young men will fall in exhaustion. But those who trust in the Lord will find new strength. They will soar high on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not grow faint. Every time I read that, I think in my prayer time, I'm like, Lord, this is, this is a promise. I need you to give me strength. Philippians chapter 14, the Apostle Paul says this. He says, and this same God who takes care of me will supply all of your needs from his glorious riches, which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. And this is a, a greater to the lesser or the lesser to the greater, however you want to think about it, argument. He's saying if God already hasn't, if he's already giving us his best, his son, Jesus Christ, he hasn't withheld anything from us. He's given us his son. Surely he can provide for whatever needs you have or think you need. Romans chapter 8, verse 37, the apostle Paul writes this. He says, no, despite all these things. By the way, oh, what are all these things? I don't read the whole passage here. This goes back to the difficulty sermon I just preached. Life's difficult. It's broken. God's taken us from the tree of life to the tree of life. How many of y'all remember that sermon, okay? It's a process. In the middle of this brokenness, he says, no, despite all this brokenness, in spite of all these things, get this, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ Jesus who loves us. And I'm convinced that nothing can separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today. How many of you came in here for, with fears for today? And how am I going to make it through today? How am I going to make it through tomorrow? How am I going to make it through this week? He says, nothing can, in the midst of that, nothing can separate you from God's love. 
nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or earth below. Indeed, nothing in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed to us in Christ Jesus our Lord. John chapter 14, verse 27, Jesus said this. He says, I am leaving with you a gift. Ready for the gift? Peace of mind and heart. I wish I could tell you all the times. There's been so many times where, as I'm trying to figure life out on my own, and my heart gets so bound up in anxiousness, I feel like it's about to pound out of my chest. And I'm sure if I went to the doctor and I took my blood pressure, my blood pressure would be through the roof. And there's all this physiology stuff going on inside of me. Why? Because I'm worried and I think it all depends on me. I've got really good news for you. The world doesn't depend on you. Sometimes that's a really freeing thought, isn't it? Life's not going to collapse with or without me. And in those moments, in those rare moments when I really do the things I should have done all along, and I bow on me and I say, God, you know what, I'm just, I just need to realize it doesn't all depend on me. This child that I'm worried about, this bill that I need to be paid, all these things, we start piling up and we think it all depends on us. We bow and you say, God, you know what? I'm going to trust in you. And Jesus says, when that happens and when that happens in my life, there's this sudden peace that passes understanding. You ever had that happen? It's a promise of Jesus. He says, I'm leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift that the world cannot give you. In fact, if you're here this morning and your heart is all bound up in anxiety, I can almost guarantee you the focus of your heart is on things of the world. They're fleeting and they will not last. Last week we talked about this. If your eyes are on the things of the world, you're investing in things that are decaying and breaking down. Of course that's going to leave you anxious. You can't invest in anything in this world that will last. How's that for some good news? But if you put your eyes on the things of Christ, we're going to look at this in a minute. Jesus said, seek first God's kingdom, and guess what? Everything else will be added to you. And Jesus said, I give you the gift that a world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. And we serve a God who is fully capable of answering your prayer and fulfilling his promises to you. That's the God we worship and serve. The, third, the second thing Jesus encourages here in this passage, he says, don't quit. Um, <clears throat> there's a tense here, and I, I, don't always, I don't usually do this, but I think it's important here. In the original language of the New Testament, is a, it's written in what's called Koine Greek, and, and that form of language is very specific. It's much more specific than English, actually. And the verb tense here is called the present tense, which means, it has, it, it means you're doing something with ongoing results. And so uh, I like the, actually like the NLT's translation here because it, it, it captures the essence of, of to keep on asking and to keep on praying, keep on knocking, keep on seeking. You keep on doing it day after day after day. And so Jesus is saying, don't quit in your asking. Now, I want you to get this for a minute. The God of the universe invites you to ask him. 
You're invited into his presence to ask him. Now, I preached back in the summer, I preached a series on parables, and I actually preached a very similar sermon, so I don't want to go into that sermon, but I would encourage you, the name of the sermon was called Driving You Nuts, and in that we talked about the context of prayer, and we talked about how in the context of prayer we want to pray kingdom prayers, prayers that are focused on the kingdom of God for the glory of God. And we talked about when we pray, we, we remember the timing of God is not always our timing, but God is going to do what the things that we ask that in a way that will bring him greatest glory. And so you really need to get that because some of what I'm about to say is in that context. I'm not going to re-preach that, okay? But in James chapter 1, the, the author James says, If you need wisdom, man, ask our generous God, and he will give it to you, and he will not rebuke you for asking. I could go on and on and list verse after verse that talks about the things we are allowed to come into the presence of God and ask for. Keep asking, you're invited. Keep seeking, you're invited to continue to seek and I just mentioned this, Matthew 6, where Jesus said, man, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all the stuff you're worried about, that will be added to you. It's a change of focus. Keep seeking. Make God's kingdom the center of what you're seeking after. You're invited to keep knocking, to, to request an audience, to request entrance. You know what's interesting is <clears throat> there's a whole backdrop to this teaching of Jesus. And in the backdrop is the Old Testament. And in the Old Testament, once a year, the high priest would go into the temple and he'd go to this place called the Holy of Holies. It was kind of the inner sanctum where the high priest would go in and he'd take with him the sins and the prayers of the people. And, and it, was, it was an earthly depiction of entering the very presence of the God of the universe. And if you know what the guy had to do before he went in there, he, because, you, because we know that God is consuming and his holiness is consuming, he can't have sin in his presence, the high priest had to go through all this ritual before he could enter the holy presence of God. He would have to bathe, he would have to change his clothes, he would have to sacrifice an animal, then he'd have to come back out after the sacrifice, he'd rebathe, rechange his clothes. Then when he went into the Holy of Holies where there was a curtain and no one else could go, he would go in there and he would actually put bells on his ankle. You know why they put bells on his ankle? So the people outside could hear if he was still alive when he entered the presence of God. And if they ever quit hearing the bells and they thought, wow, I wonder if, they, if, he, if he has perished in front of a holy God. They also had a rope on his ankle that went outside the temple so that if he was consumed by the holiness of God, rather than go in and risk their own lives, they would pull his body out. And why would God do that? I mean, why have thousands of years of ritual? Do we serve a God that needs ritual? No, he did that for thousands of years to remind us of the incredible, awesome power and presence of the God of the universe. He did that to remind us we don't belong in his presence. What is Jesus teaching us here? I thought we had to go through all this ritual in order to enter the holy presence of God. No, the difference, there's something new about the new covenant or the new testament. The newness is our high priest is now perfect standing before holy God. His name is Jesus Christ. And in the name of Jesus, you get to go into the holy presence of God without all this ritual. The ritual has been taken care of by Jesus Christ. And now, but in the name of Jesus, we can seek, we can knock, we can ask anytime we want. Remember what happened on the day that Jesus died on the cross? What happened at the temple? Does anybody remember? 
There was a big curtain that separated all the people from where the priests would go into the Holy of Holies. Why is that in there? Why is it in the New Testament? Why is it in the Gospels? Anybody remember what happened? The curtain of the inner sanctum was what? Torn in two. Church, you're invited anytime you want in the name of Christ into the place that in the past centuries no one could go and knock and seek and ask. You're invited anytime you want into the holy presence of God. And not because you deserve to be there, but that because you come in the name of another who does deserve to be there. God's one and only son, Jesus Christ. The third thing I want you to see in the context of this teaching is that our prayers <clears throat> should reflect God's passion for people. Our prayers should reflect God's passion for people because in the context, remember I told you context is the sermon of all this stuff where you're like, I can't do all that stuff. But then in the middle of that, Jesus reminds us, hey, you can pray, you can knock, you can seek and ask, ask God's help to do these things he's called us to do. We get to come because of the, the person and work of Jesus Christ. And then in that context, Matthew chapter 7, verse 12, we see the heartbeat of God, his heartbeat for people. He says, because I want you to do unto others whatever you'd like them to do unto you. He said, this is the essence of all that is taught in the law and the prophets. How does this relate to prayer? Could you imagine how different our prayers would be if they were others focused for the glory of God? Let me repeat that a minute. Could you imagine how different our prayers would be if they were others focused for the glory of God? Maybe you have a loved one that is so far from God. And you sit here this morning, you know how much God has changed your life and given you hope and given you purpose. And you're like, man, I wish my loved one, you could fill in the blank of their name, right? Man, I wish they knew God the way I know you, God. Imagine if your prayer changed. God, God, you know what? I, I want to lift up. And you fill in the name, my son, my daughter, my aunt, my uncle, my mom, my dad, my grandparent, my adult child. They don't know you the way I do. And man, God, it would be life-changing for them and for me if they would just come to know you. Keep seeking, keep asking, keep knocking. You know, your prayer might change like this. You know what, God? I want to lift up my mom. held a grudge against her for years. I pray that you bless her today. Pour out your blessing on her for your name and fame and glory. Hey God, you know what? You know the politician, God, that I didn't vote for? I'm mindful in Romans that you call me, God, to pray for those in leadership. And so today, God, instead of posting on Facebook that they're an idiot, I'm going to lift them up. Because I bet running the country is a tough deal. And so, God, does, I want to just pray that you would give our leaders of our country and our state and our county wisdom. James 1 says we're allowed to ask for it. So I pray that they would turn to you and ask for wisdom, God. 
Hey, God, I want to lift up this morning. I want to lift up the coworker. You know, the one guy that always steals my idea and then takes credit for it, that coworker, God? That come pay raise time, they always look better than they should. God, I pray for them because obviously they need the money more than I do. God, I pray that you bless them today. Hey, God, you know what? I want to lift up those. You know, I've been worried about all my bills, but I bet you there's someone that's in way worse condition than me. In fact, God, I know one right now. It's the one that always works down at the food store that I go to. I see them there probably working 60 hours a week. God, I pray that you bless them today. Help them. Can you imagine what our prayers would look like if they were outward focused for the glory of God? I had a really cool experience this week. Um, we had an, an elder board meeting. That wasn't the cool experience. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> We opened our time with prayer, and it was this really cool thing that God laid on the hearts of the elders of this church, someone that hasn't attended this church in a long time, and they just poured out their heart, saying, God, touch their heart again, touch their heart again, touch their heart again. I watched three men weep for others. In fact, I always tell people, you want to know what the, what's in the DNA of Coastal makes it unique? It's the unity of leadership, man, that it's outward-focused. And I watched three men pray for someone they hadn't talked to in years with tears going, God, bring them back. And by the way, in a couple of weeks, we do a baptism. You want to know why I get, I get so geeked up for baptism? Because every time we do a baptism, I know behind the scenes, there's probably someone spending hours in prayer. Say, man, bring this person to Christ. And let their faith be publicly known. And so I get geeked up because I know it's a whole lot more than some sermon I preach or whatever, man. It's way bigger than that. And we have a God who cares, we have a God who's capable, we have a God who has an open invitation, and we have a God who loves people. And this God says, you come, and you seek, and you knock, and you ask, and don't quit, because you can rely on my character, I'm a good dad, and I love you. I want to finish with a story, and then we're going to close with prayer this morning. This story is a true story of a, a missionary in Africa. Her name was Helen Rosevere. She was from England, and she worked in uh, the center of Africa near the equator uh, in a place called the, what used to be called the Belgian Congo. And she ran a kind of a mission station. It had some medical help. It had an orphanage. She did some training. And uh, Helen, one day at night, in the middle of the night, um, a mom came in and gave premature birth to a little baby girl. And in this area of Congo, there was just no medical help. And so generally, what Helen and her staff would do when that happened is that they would get a water bottle. they fill that water bottle all through the night with warm water to keep that little newborn warm. It's the only thing they had to keep that baby warm. And this particular night, the mom gave birth to this baby. The mom died. There was a two-year-old sister there. She was crying over the loss of her mom. One of the staff workers goes to get a water bottle. She fills the water bottle with hot water, and because of uh, the, the, uh, the temperatures and the weather fluctuation in Africa, this water bottle had dry rotted, and it burst, and they had no way to keep this baby warm. And so they did the best they could that night. They built a fire, and somebody, uh, one of the staff members laid next to this infant to try to keep the draft away. 
And that baby made it through the night. But they knew if this baby was going to make it long term, they needed a water bottle to keep this baby warm. And so um, Helen went to her orphan girls the next morning, and she just asked them for prayer. She said, you know, we're in the middle of nowhere, but God, we need a water bottle. We don't know where we're going to get one. And she asked these kids, she said, just pray for this little baby and pray for the sister who lost her mom. And there was a little 10-year-old girl. Her name was Ruth. And Ruth stepped forward, and she said, I'm going to pray. And here was her prayer. She said, please, God. Send us a water bottle, and it will be no good tomorrow. God, by tomorrow, the baby will be dead, so please send it by this afternoon. Helen, the missionary, said, after she got done saying that, she said, and while you're at it, God, would you please send a little dolly for the little girl so she'll know that you really love her? And with that, she said, amen. By the way, let me get, do a little teaching note. The word amen means I agree. That's what it means. That's why we say it sometimes. Joey might say something, we go, amen. Why, why do people around, like if you're new around, why do they yell amen? It means I agree with what was just said corporately. And so Helen, the missionary, she says, I didn't know if I could say amen to that because I didn't believe, I didn't have the same faith this little girl had that there was a water bottle coming by the afternoon. But that afternoon, a parcel came to her front door. No parcel had come to her front door in six months in the middle of the Congo. And with tears in her eyes, she couldn't believe it. And surely her faith began to swell. And so she went and she got the little orphan girl. She got the little girl, Ruth, and they tore her into this parcel. They started pulling out some medical supplies. And they reached down inside this parcel. And guess what they found? A water bottle. And little Ruth, who had prayed the prayer, said, well, if God sent a water bottle, surely he sent a little doll, too. And they reached down inside, and there was a doll for this two-year-old orphan girl. As they unpacked the story, they found, Helen found out that her Sunday school class had packed this parcel some five months earlier and sent it. And the Sunday school teacher felt the promptings of the Lord to put a water bottle in there. You know, there's times in life there's probably one of two things happening. You're praying or you're an answer to prayer. And I'm reminded of Matthew chapter 7. Jesus said, keep on asking, and you'll receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking, and you will find. Keep on knocking, and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, and everyone who seeks finds, and everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. You parents, if your children ask for a loaf of bread, you give them a stone instead? Of course not. Or if they ask for a fish, do you give them a snake? Of course not. So if you, being sinful people, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more? Will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask? Don't quit. Keep asking. Keep seeking. Keep knocking. We pray to a good God, a gracious heavenly Father. Let's close our time with prayer. Father, I pray for the one in this room this morning who came in here and they were ready to quit on you on their faith journey. God, before our heavenly Father, we lift them up, their heart up to you, God. We ask for a renewal of heart and spirit. God, for the one in this room who has been seeking and knocking and asking for a child, an adult child that's wandered from the faith. And they keep wondering, God, I implanted the word. We implanted the things of God. We implanted spirituality. When is it going to bear fruit in the heart of their child? God, encourage them in their prayers. And for that child, God, even this morning, I pray that your spirit would be drawing them back to you. 
God, for the one in this room whose bills are mounting and they are wondering, how am I going to make it through next week, God? I pray two things. I pray, one, that you would help them meet the mounting pressure of their bill. And two, I pray that you would give them peace that passes understanding. And God, we want to finish this prayer by worshiping you. Thank you for not being disinterested or disengaged, but being a good heavenly father who hears and loves. And we give you praise. And we give you glory. And we give you honor. And we get to ask these things because of our high priest, Jesus Christ. It is in his name we enter your presence. Amen. Church, this is our offering time. Uh, If you're a guest with us, please don't feel any obligation to give. This is one of the ways we worship God at Coastal. Um, As a guest, man, we would love to have um, your tear-off, your Connect card with your mailing information. We just want to send you a thank you card for coming. By the way, that tear-off is a great opportunity to list some prayer requests. We have several prayer teams. Some meet during the week. Some one meets on Saturday night. If you'd like to be a part of a prayer team at Coastal, you're welcome to. Uh, we've got kind of a prayer chain via email that people will pray off, you know, behind the scenes. And so if you have our prayer requests, they go there so people can be praying. And if you'd like to be a part of those, you can use that Connect card and let us know. We'd love to get you plugged into some of our prayer ministries at Coastal. Joy.